Hey, it's Melvin, one of your friendly neighborhood podcast hosts. Whether it's your first time tuning in or you're a longtime listener, consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever. Reviews are the lifeblood of the podcast world, so if you want to help us out, it'll take only a moment of your time. Otherwise, we hope you enjoy the show. Hey guys, just want to let you know this episode delves into a very difficult topic, including content that might otherwise be uncomfortable, offensive, and triggering to those listening. As such, I have marked this episode explicit in the show notes. Otherwise, enjoy. Hi, my name is Melvin, and times are tough. Welcome to Cinematic Doctrine, a Christian podcast service that seeks to encourage and equip Christians to engage and reform the culture of cinema. In this episode, Daniel and I are talking about Amy Semetz's She Dies Tomorrow. I use an app called Letterboxd to keep track of the movies I've watched and what's popular in the movie crowd, and there was a two-week period where She Dies Tomorrow was the movie everyone was watching. Its premise was intriguing, as its complicating incident was surrounding a woman who, for no apparent reason, simply reasons that she will die the following day. It sounded like a serious mood piece, and when it comes to movies, I really enjoy a solid mood piece, so I couldn't help but take this opportunity to chat She Dies Tomorrow on the podcast. For starters, Daniel and I take some time setting the groundwork for this tonally challenging film, giving you some details on the content within. It may seem a bit abrasive, but we promise we wouldn't be covering the movie if it weren't tame. Then, Daniel and I get into our immediate non-spoilery thoughts regarding the film's expression of anxiety, and how different characters exhibit different responses to anxiety. Following this, we chat about a small cameo that horror fans will enjoy when watching She Dies Tomorrow. Afterward, we dig into spoilers and talk about the more nuanced themes and projections of anxiety and how certain characters resolve their struggles, and how Daniel and I as Christians believe it's important to recognize and sympathize with those who have anxiety, as well as approaching it with the confidence that, in Christ, there are eternal and practical solutions to battling anxiety. If you've heard the last few episodes, you know we're changing things up. Rather than giving you a ton of details on the film, we've formatted our episodes to include the synopsis, content warning, and call to action in the main discussion. So, without further ado, here's our discussion on She Dies Tomorrow. Daniel, do you have really bad allergies? Because my eyes are just, like, burning right now. Is, is, is the episode starting? Is this yeah, how we're starting? That's, this is how we're starting it, because okay. I'm looking at the show notes right now, and they're, like, watering. I hope I'm okay. <laughs> I I hope so, too, man. This would be a weird way to find out someone is dying. Which isn't like um, me segueing into the episode or anything. I just think that'd be a really weird way. Like, I'm getting interviewed <laughs> on the news. Just like, yeah. what happened to your friend Melvin? It's like, he just... <laughs> we were recording. That's Also, it's kind of like the thing with Grizzly Man, where like your final moments are recorded forever and ever somewhere. So then, like, your wife can go back and listen to you dying. And... Your last words are, do you have allergies? And then you just feel over and die. (laughs) At the very least for me, it would be a case of um, I'll never have allergies again on the new earth. So that's exciting. Uh, Yeah, you dying is pretty exciting, I guess. Uh, What's the the one meme that you saw or that you saw as though you were the one who saw it and told me about it? (laughs) Yes, the (laughs) only meme I've ever seen. (laughs) The um, Arnold Schwarzenegger handshake. Uh, and it's uh, emo songs, worship songs, and then the chorus. I can't wait to die. Yeah, <laughs> death is going to be awesome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah death is great. <laughs> oh, yeah, him and uh, I think that's Carl Weathers and Predator, right? Yeah, Carl Bennett. Weathers. Yeah, yeah. Baby, you got a stew going. 
<laughs> yeah, easily his most iconic role of himself. Yeah. <laughs> he's let's just let's just talk about Carl Weathers. He's great in regular show <laughs> as the king of basketball. And Carl Weathers dies tomorrow. That's the episode. <laughs> That'd be such a compelling movie title. Like you just like it's, it's the sequel to being John Malkovich. <laughs> it's just like these movies about actors <laughs> just things that they do. I mean, there's so much in that title though. It's just like, is is the movie about someone who is planning on killing Carl Weathers? Does Carl Weathers <laughs> is it like bucket list two with Carl Weathers where he's just like another the, the like there would be a like a making of documentary called Always a Child, the Michael Sarah experience. <laughs> Anyway, she dies tomorrow. That's the movie we're talking about here. <laughs> Don't you just love podcasts and the witty banter that they do? We need more of that. Yes, <laughs> very witty banter. Me reading Carl Weathers' like filmography. <laughs> How do they do it? See, I was really confused because I thought in a new format I was going to be like today's film is "She Dies Tomorrow," written and directed by Amy. And then you're just like, I have really bad allergies. <laughs> Ain't that something? I was like, oh, I guess this is I guess this is how we're starting. Don't you know COVID has created a new normal? And this is the new normal, folks. Cinematic doctrine, uncut. <laughs> this ain't your dad's podcast. Um <laughs> I do like that now whenever you get sick, it's just COVID. <laughs> like nobody's ever like, oh, I feel sick. Must have IBS, like it must be the flu. Like everyone's like, oh, I guess I gotta start writing my will. <laughs> yes, like, yeah. You start running down the checklist of symptoms. Like if I can still smell, I'm good. If I can yes. still taste, I'm good. Literally, whenever I think of getting COVID, I just eat something, <laughs> which is not the best coping mechanism. But I'm like, mm, this is good, which means I'm gonna live. Good. You know? Yeah. So we will not die tomorrow, but maybe, <laughs> maybe we die tomorrow. But maybe uh, actress Kate. Lynn Shell will die tomorrow. Oh, so okay. So our film today is She Dies Tomorrow. It's written and directed by I'm keeping this train on the tracks today, Melvin. Uh nice. It's She Dies Tomorrow, written and directed by Amy Simons. I'm pretty sure I'm saying that correctly. It's starring Katie Lynn Shell, who, if you're a horror fan, you may be familiar with her from films such as VHS and your next. Jean Adams, who is a pretty gifted comedic uh character actress who's been in Turtle Sunshine of Spotless Mind, Twin Peaks. Uh, the film is about a character named Amy who is ravaged by the notion that she is going to die tomorrow, which sends her on a dizzying emotional spiral. When her skeptical friend Jane discovers Amy's feelings of imminent death to be contagious, they both begin bizarre journeys through what might be the last day of their lives. Yeah, so we're looking at as far as the MPA rating is concerned. She Dies Tomorrow is rated R for language, some sexual references, drug use, bloody images. Although the film is much more cerebral than it is visual, it's still important to mention that these things are still there. And while you won't be able to find these like contextually detailed on IMDb because the parents guide just hasn't been updated and I personally find IMDb very convoluted, so I just haven't done it myself. You can find details of the content on Common Sense Media, although they don't exactly, I think, cover everything that I noticed with the film. But largely everything I list here is is available to see on Common Sense Media. So, yeah, there's some bloody visuals, but not graphic bloody visuals. And by that, I mean, there's like blood on objects, blood on clothing, blood on the floor and walls, but nothing portrayed graphically, particularly. Uh, it's more scenic. Some characters kiss. Um, one character sits atop another in like a relationally comfortable manner, but may still be provocative to some viewers. They are fully clothed. A scene has characters make out and there's brief like touchy feely motions. They're fully clothed and 
the quote unquote action ends near immediately. And it has a very much, this isn't worth it kind of mindset. This is going to be sound a little strange, but there's really no other way to swing it. There's basically a long diatribe regarding like the procreative activities of dolphins or rather how they sometimes aren't like, uh, it's just hard to describe other than this. The, the reality of the fact that dolphin procreation is that they kind of just embrace that action uh, of sex in a very nasty way. The character kind of details how depraved it can get. And it's pretty shocking, even though like I've known all of these things before, it's still shocking to hear about it. What this really reminded me of, though, is having this literal, almost verbatim conversation multiple times in my life in both uh, like dorm college and college dorm rooms with friends. Like it was I wouldn't say it was funny necessarily just because it felt almost dated because I was just like. I understood what it, why they were doing the context of the film. And later there was like, I would say a specific reason, but it's to convey a very specific thing. Right. But it was just like, oh, I remember when everyone was talking about this for whatever reason. And so, yeah. The the idea behind the conversation is very clearly about like, can't you, can you believe it? This is what dolphins do. And then of course the character sort of is emphasizing like, we're not so different. It's definitely one of those cases where what's being written and, and, in this what's being written in the script isn't necessarily what the director or writer believes but they're putting it in for a character to then you know have that be a character thing either way it's still kind of offensive to listen to so that's probably the most offensive the film gets i'll say that it's like this diatribe anyways there's a character getting changed into some nightwear but the camera stays above their shoulders so there's no nudity another character shares some challenging and potentially regret-filled history this revelation may be difficult uh, as it is somewhat considered spoilers, I can't really elaborate on it, but it's something where when you hear it, you'll know exactly what it is. There's a fair amount of language ranging from the F word and the S word and other kinds of language. However, it's not particularly aggressive or used regularly to degrade other characters, save for one scene. It's more like just passive language. There's a character drinking and they also have a drinking problem. We see them engage in that a little more. And there's also characters who, who use uh, basically just hallucinogenic drugs. But that's about it for the content. I say that as though that was like a tiny amount. That was kind of a lot, but it's really isn't very, it's not in your face. I don't know if you would agree with that, but for me, I I found it not very stark. Yeah. I, I mean, obviously when you sit and make a fairly detailed list of anything, it, it makes the amount sound a lot more just encompassing or overwhelming than it really is. Because right. in the context of the movie, these things are both very, very brief and with the exception of the dolphin conversation really don't take up much of the audience's attention for the most part. It's very minimal. And I would say the most intense thing about the movie is just its general atmosphere more than any. That's right. Content. That was actually something I meant to include in the contest that the tone is very dour. Yeah. This, this is like a, you'll, you could get as comfortable as you want while you're watching this movie and you will still feel like something's off. So Thanks for reminding me that I didn't write that in the notes, but should have. <laughs> it's kind of like when you look at, um, I don't know if you ever used the website Plugged In, but they have a very all-encompassing, not a stone unturned like system to like cat- cataloging all potential uh, content in films. And it's it, they make almost every movie sound horrible. Like when you read through like all the things that could possibly happen. But then like they do a good job of wrapping up the end and just sort of giving a general overview as well. But it's kind, of, it's kind of like that. It's all these things do happen, yeah. but a movie is like generally at least 90 minutes. So that little bit of 
what we mentioned sprinkle over 90 minutes is pretty minimal i think so yeah if you like today's episode or just feel strongly about it in general leave a review on itunes Podchaser, or wherever you listen to podcasts as always feel free to like our facebook page join our facebook group a lot of great discussion in there or follow us on twitter or instagram also be sure to check out our other shows monthly movie news and trailer talk and visit our website cinematicdoctrine.com also, feel free to support us on Patreon. For just $3 a month, you get exclusive voting privileges, an exclusive show known as The Pre-Show, where free-form discussions between me and Melvin about all ty- types of things, including movies, life, and our faith. So what do you think of the movie, Dan? I know I watched it, I guess, a couple days ahead of you, and I, I really enjoyed it, but I've been really itching to hear what you think. So, what, what, what Oh, do you, you think really that? enjoyed it? Yeah, I so like I I guess I'll start <laughs> now that I'm after <laughs> just asking you, because I did I like I. I, it took me a while to kind of get into it because the first 10 minutes of this movie, nothing really happens. I, and I like I get it that it starts out that way because Amy just wakes up and thinks like, I'm going to die tomorrow. And so now she's just lethargic and she just doesn't do anything. And then when she does do things, they're really strange things that you would do if you have ever experienced a panic attack or an anxiety attack where you're kind of just tr- like, oh, you're trying to like stimulate all of your senses in a way that's just... I don't know how else to describe it. Just something that'll make you feel better. And that kind of goes on for like 10 to 15 minutes, which for people who have struggled with anxiety, they'll find relatable and then probably very effective in getting their nerves going because that's kind of what happens as the film continues. And I found that really creative. I even found like how the film shows off different forms of anxiety. So like how people respond to feeling anxious Amy feels lethargic. Jane starts to respond in um, seeking out people, uh, like just just going and, and kind of barging into areas and just going to friends or neighbors. Um, one scene, she just says she wasn't going to go spend time with her brother at a party. And then the next scene, after like the contagious infection hits her and she then starts to think to herself, oh my goodness, I'm going to die tomorrow. It's like a switch. She just leaves the house and goes right to this party that she was never going to go to. And you kind of see how does she handle anxiety. And it's completely different to Amy's character. Amy's just off on her own and wants to go do whatever she can by herself. And then Jane is just running off to be with people that otherwise she really didn't want to spend time with. And then as other characters sort of begin to experience anxiety, as you begin to question, are they going to get this whatever it is infection then you start to see different avenues of anxiety and how people express it and the things that make them anxious because one of the things about this film i think is it doesn't just linger on like oh i'm gonna die tomorrow it then causes characters to think about what are they afraid of losing or perhaps what are the things that they were too cowardly to do and i just thought i just found that all very enjoyable to experience while watching this movie which is kind of a dumb thing to say like we said the tone is really dour and like no matter how comfortable you are you will be uncomfortable watching this movie but i found that really effective for me i don't think it was perfect there's some things that i think could have been improved i i'm not a big fan of the jump cuts of like audio I don't know how to how else to describe this, but it's like when songs are playing and it's really emotional and it grabs you and then it cuts away really quick. 
and there's no more music anymore and whatever emotion you were holding on to is gone <laughs> and and it really deflates the experience of what can be going on so for instance the the beginning of the movie is amy standing up in like a sunny like condo or something and this wonderful song starts playing and then it cuts away immediately and the song just stops and this happens like four times in the movie and i get why at least i suspect why because like that causes you to feel uncomfortable and so it can trigger anxiety but i also want to be emotionally carried through it i guess empathetically because uh, i like a, i like a good happy cry or i like a good cry just in general and it's like if these things lingered i would feel much more emotionally connected but like i said that's the point because anxiety really disconnects you from emotions or at least the ones that probably are helpful to you so yeah i i really enjoyed it but you know like i started with i asked how you were <laughs> how you enjoyed it or maybe did it so we should pass that on and hear what, hear what you think what do you think dan what do you what did you think of she dies tomorrow yeah i'm not sure if i'll have anything particularly engaging or interesting to say about the movie that um you haven't already said i mean i wasn't as enthusiastic about the movie as you were i found it really interesting i think one, I mean, there's two main things that I thought that really stuck out to me. One is I think we've inadvertently started a series, like depending on what the third movie in not counting the, whatever the Patreon winning movie is, almost like a death trilogy of films of movies that are meditations. That's right. Yeah. I thought of this while watching it. I was like, we just covered a ghost story, which is about time and death and love and romance. And then she dies tomorrow, which is just about anxiety about <laughs> death and, and time mortality. And yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. So I guess we'll start thinking for what what we could do next. <laughs> yeah, what's what's a death movie we could talk about? But specifically, like a slow, but it's short, but it feels longer because of how slow it is. Like indie experimental movie about time and death. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which isn't to say like I that actually for me that enhanced the experience because it almost felt like a counterweight while a ghost story is a movie in embracing almost the mystery and the wonder of life and death and time and how we're all connected through the locations we live in and all this stuff she dies tomorrow is an almost crushingly pessimistic look at the futility of death and at, and how it sort of cripples people and i know specifically i didn't do an extensive amount of research about this i did a quick like wikipedia read and i watched a couple of interviews and read a few articles and the main thing and part of what's both depthful but not very depthful about discussing the movie is as complex as it is and how it conveys certain emotions it's very clear what emotions is dealing with which is specifically about anxiety like like someone experiences an anxiety attack but they specifically have an anxiety about death and I was confirmed in interviews with the writer and director that this movie was, in fact, born out of two things. One, the director's anxiety about death and B, their experience of sharing anxiety attacks with people and just sort of gauging how they reacted to her stories about having anxiety attacks. Which makes sense because the lead character is named Amy. Yes. And the director <laughs> writer is named is Amy. As blunt as you can get as far as. Um, I wonder if it's a self-insert. <laughs> yeah. Which isn't bad. I don't say I'm not saying these right. things as they dismiss yeah, or minimize yeah. what they're about. I really shouldn't laugh either because if your self-insert is anxiety ridden about death, that's not really that funny. But right. I guess you could find some black comedy in anything. So, but one of the things you hear in a lot of, especially when I, you see the trailer on YouTube or even when watching it on Voodoo, you see like at the bottom it displays some of like the reviews. A lot of them are like use the word like timely and relevant. 
And it's just sort of this very inadvertent, like timeliness of the movie's release where when they started making the movie, I don't think the pandemic was happening, but they found themselves releasing a experimental art house sort of horror film about a contagious disease that specifically makes you afraid to die. And wow, like if this had been written now, I'd be like, what an on the nose, uncreative way to deal (laughs) with the current situation. But that wasn't their intent at all. But suddenly we have this film, which is about people where, as one caller at my job told me the other day, uh, the real pandemic is fear, man. And so <laughs> there's this <laughs> disease that's going around making everyone just afraid of their own mortality. And so I found that certainly it's hard not to watch that and see about yourself and see a bit of the experience they're going through, where there's these people who are laughing and being merry and they're having social events and they're partying and then someone just walks in the room and is like, I'm going to die tomorrow. And suddenly right, people are like, right. oh my gosh, I'm going to die tomorrow. You're right. And right. so I would say the one thing that caused me to not engage the movie as much as it maybe should have is so early on, and this is partially the director's intent was like very early. You talk about the very slow kind of like 10 to 15 early minutes where you're not given any sort of context for what's happening, which is very purposeful. And this is this specific is intentional where like the director was like early on, I want people to not know why this person thinks they're going to die. Like so a lot of people are going to read this as them planning on committing suicide, which is very understandable given both the state of the person that we're seeing and the way they're talking. And so for me, like I have had experiences where I have decided like, okay, tomorrow I'm going to kill myself. And so the way I conducted myself throughout the day is not at all like this character. I wasn't just like, touching the floor and playing classical music as I wandered around outside of my house. Right. right. I was saying goodbye to people. I was, or, or I was saying goodbye to people, not out loud, but like internally I was like, okay, this is the last time I see this person. And so I guess that for me, like caused me to just not connect as much as I should have because of my own experiences and the way I personally, as somebody with anxiety and at one point in my life, a very strong propensity to, to want to die, like has dealt with these very specific kind of same feelings and issues there's a part of me that was like, eh, I guess. But like for me, right. the way I've acted those things out. And I'm not, this isn't a knock against the movie in any way. This is a review of my own engagement with the film. That's not the film's fault for not mirroring my personal experiences. <laughs> yeah, and so yeah. <laughs> once it kind of switched gears into being more general, where it's just like, oh, this is a general look at how all different types of people deal with like the the anxiety of death and the crushing reality of her mortality that kind of made me like appreciate the movie a lot more where you see kind of how her brother deals with it and how him and his wife handle it, how her friend deals with it. And as sort of the disease spreads and we see other people's reaction to this, um, that caused me to sort of open my heart up to the movie a little more. And yeah, overall I liked it. It, this isn't true because this writer and director uh, did two seasons of a show called the girlfriend experience, which is, is it, which is in and of itself a sort of spinoff slash adaptation of a Steven Soderbergh film. So I know this isn't like her first thing. And she actually, um, this writer director has acted in a number of things. She was in the recent Pet Cemetery remake. Uh, that's right. Which I don't know if you saw that. Uh, yes. Yeah. We have a review of it, actually. Do we? <laughs> I, yeah. I don't remember all. Of... <laughs> no, it's okay. Cinematic Doctrine has a strangely large back catalog of episodes. It's, it's, it's deceptively impressive, Melvin. Good job. Pretty much like one once a week. I think there's been about four to eight weeks that I've taken a break that we've taken a break, but otherwise last year and a half, one episode a week, at least. Dang dude. 
<laughs> Good job, man. Congratulations. A little, a little tiresome. This, this episode got very weirdly self-congratulatory this hour. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> but it has a lot of the charms of someone's like first college film almost. And I don't mean that's not derogatory in any way, but it has that vibe to it of the film is mostly constructed of scenes of people having conversations with each other, but they're less conversations and more the types of pseudo meditative introspective uh, discussions that like normal people would be having. And that's sort of, it's a scene. It's a series of very, it's a series of conversations and emotional beats sort of tied together by music and weird editing and lighting with very little in terms of set pieces or (laughs) no action scenes or anything like that. And most scenes are take place in singular rooms as people talk. And there's a couple scenes of people like wandering around, where the people in this movie probably live. And it looks like it was shot in California. I could be wrong about that. And then I'll get lit up in the comments for it. And so it has this sort of like loose feel to it that I enjoy it. I have to be sort of in the mood for it. When I first started the film, I kind of wasn't in the mood for that. And it was just very kind of turning me off a little bit. But then as I sat down, I actually watched this two set, it's in two settings. During my second sitting, I was like, okay, this, I knew I was going to, because I didn't know anything about the movie and I sat to watch it. And I was able to sort of open myself up, like, to use the term again, to the vibe of the movie, where it's this kind of like slow plotting, but slowly building tension of a movie where all of the drama and tension comes from watching people fall apart emotionally in front of you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I was able to vibe with it more around there. So overall, I really enjoy, I, overall, I would say in the end, I found myself really enjoying it by the end. Would you say so? One of the things that I stepped away with was that if, um, and maybe you have a couple movies like this too, where if somebody didn't understand something but was willing to learn something, you could, there are some movies you can say, let's watch this and talk about it. So, like in this case, if I had a friend who just didn't understand anxiety and didn't understand different responses to anxiety and how really anxiety causes you to do irrational things and you have this irrational fear that becomes so devastating or an irrational feeling that's so devastating that you can't well you you can't think rationally one of the conversations in the beginning is amy is on the floor and there's just like amazon boxes surrounding her and uh jane is sitting on a couch she stopped by we're kind of reluctantly she stops by she jane's character is very much the Everybody has these problems and nobody else will help. So I will, but I'm so tired. Don't they know I have problems? It's very much that kind of character. And so she's there and she's like, what's wrong? And Amy's on the floor and goes, I'm going to die. I don't know how, and I don't know why. I just know tomorrow I'm going to die. And Jane's like, no, you're not. And Amy's like, yes, I am. And Jane's like, no, you're not. <laughs> and Jane's like, yes, I am. And then, or, or Amy's like, yes, I am. And then Jane is like, I just need to let go and let God. I am leaving. <laughs> and you're like, okay, that's not how, how it should go, but okay. But the point is, is you're seeing these, these uh, aspects of anxiety responses to it. Ultimately, when Jane feels the anxiety of like, I could die tomorrow, she responds to it totally differently. And so do you think that this movie could function like that, that if you had a friend come up to you and was like, Hey, Dan, like I, I have a buddy of mine who's really struggling with anxiety and I don't understand a single thing about it, but I'd like to understand what are some things you would, you would direct me towards to help me understand. Would you think that this movie could potentially be useful in that? Oh yeah. I mean, I guess certain scenes of it, certainly. 
I don't know how I feel about the general idea of like, hey, sit down and watch this 90 minute art house film with me and then you'll understand. <laughs> um, about, you know, and you I, will understand. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think that, of it but. more as like a potential foundation and then you can talk later. I never necessarily like the idea of like, remember, we talked about this with American Gospel where like, yeah, I don't need to do any work. You just watch this. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you don't understand the gospel? Here, watch this two and a half hour documentary. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, even then that's a documentary. I don't, I don't <laughs> like I'm trying to think of a indie art house film where it'd be like, this is the best way to convey this thing to somebody. Well, I mean, Jesus used parables and they were always pretty <laughs> vague, not vague, but they would be indirect and they would i think so i think storytelling can function as a as a means of oh absolutely teaching. i'm not sure. saying it at all i cannot i obviously i i wouldn't do this show if i didn't think that was that was the truth but <laughs> yeah i think but i think trying to convey something that's both a very strong internal reaction to something that's also subjective to the person experience even now we just talked about it with like my experience with these similar types of things versus what the characters in the film are experiencing. I think the movie does do a good way of conveying the internal emotional. I would say, I would guess in some cases devastation, but the difficulty of people who they just really are trying to convey to the people around them, something that they're feeling deep inside their bones that they believe very strongly though. They can, there's, yeah, there's a scene in the movie or some point blank is like, okay, but like, how do you know that you're going to die tomorrow? And which is a valid thing like the person in the, in the scene is they're catastrophizing they're taking a singular belief that they're making and then basing the rest of their how they view the rest of their lives around this one misconception that well, misconception in real life not a misconception in the context of the movie and the person is like i can't prove this to you at all <laughs> there's no way i can right. prove you that i'm going to die tomorrow but i know it it was one of the most chilling sections is uh jane is explaining like I know I'm going to die tomorrow. Like I know that if I'm driving on the highway and I'm near a semi, I need to get past it because it'll probably run me over or because it will run me over. Or I know I'm going to die tomorrow. Like how, when I lock all my doors at night and I go to bed, I know that there's one that's open and someone's going to break into my house and do horrible things to me. And you're just sitting there like, Oh my goodness, did I lock my doors when I turn this movie on? <laughs> like you just start feeling terrible. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. So I guess in that way, Sure. Like, I think I'm trying, yeah, I'm trying to think of off the top of my head, like, what's that short term 12, that Netflix movie, Brie Larson does a good job of showing people like a context of like a group home uh, to the point where actually a patient of mine while I was working, like asked to watch scenes of the movie on my phone, which I wasn't supposed to do. But by that point, I knew I was leaving the job at some point. So I didn't care. <laughs> so yeah, whatever. Let's watch a movie on my iPhone while I'm sitting here at work. And even though I'm not supposed to do 40 things I'm doing right now. Let's do it. But yeah, so I think that movie would be a good example of something like that uh, as well. But I, I certainly think in terms of a movie that displays somebody having what can be a good parallel to an anxiety attack, this movie does a really good job of that. I was actually surprised by the sort of like the ongoing parade of actors I recognize. Like Victor Zaz is just the character's brother, which I don't know if you recognized him without all the Victor Zaskars on him, but he looked familiar. I just yeah. couldn't like, but now I can, now I can see it. Yeah. Yeah. He was that um, Adam Wingard shows up for some reason. Yeah. Is yes, a yeah. Guy. Literally one of the only, 
the only thing for the trivia section I could think of was like Adam <laughs> Wingard shows up. So we'll bring that back when we get there. <laughs> Isn't that weird? Um, and then in the last like 10 minutes of the movie, two of the biggest actors show up. Michelle Rodriguez is just in this movie for 10 minutes. And she's I, when I went on YouTube, there was a trailer of the movie that listed as a Michelle Rodriguez film, like Michelle Rodriguez is a new film. <laughs> like I was like, imagine buying this movie to see Michelle Rodriguez and being horribly disappointed that she's not in this movie <laughs> almost at all. So with cinematic doctrine, we're kind of just doing new formats and seeing how we feel about it. And this new format is at the first half, which we really should have probably clarified, but you know, like we said, we're, <laughs> we're doing new things here. Um, the first half of the show is no spoilers discussed at all. And any of them that show up are edited out by yours truly. Don't worry. There's probably nothing you're missing here. And then we cover some trivia here with the caveat that after our trivia section, we're just going to have spoilers thrown out right right there at the, at the forefront. Obviously not the forefront. So you can make sure you press your pause button, put on another podcast, all that jazz. If you're, if you're panicking, hopefully your hands aren't dirty. But yeah, then we'll open up and our discussion will include spoilers. So if you haven't seen the movie yet, you want to probably catch it on Voodoo or maybe there's a local theater in your area that's doing a special screening. I know Neon distributed this and Neon has a couple partnerships with some local theaters. So you could, you know, half of that ticket price can go to a, a local theater that you really like. But yeah, the, there wasn't, unfortunately, as I'm unveiling the trivia section, there really wasn't a lot to find on She Dies Tomorrow, we we briefly mentioned that Adam Wingard shows up, or Wingard, Wingard, Adam Wingard. I Wing, don't know. <laughs> yeah, he, you know, he's the director for The Guest. He's also the director for everybody's favorite live action Netflix movie, Death Note. I know that, uh, I think you loved that movie, Daniel, right? You really liked that one. You thought oh, that that was just terrific. Bees I think knees. Better than any Japanese person could have done um better yeah. than any anime fan now i haven't even seen it and <laughs> like um please don't take that out of context and just <laughs> like podcaster, I'll christian podcaster said adam lingard <laughs> is better than the japanese uh, of which i am one it's coolsville coolsville sucks situation <laughs> you're just gonna edit that so it makes it sound like i said coolsville sucks <laughs> um why are those movies so good? And why did Scoob 2020 stink so bad? I don't know how that film got I through think it. The, the reappraisal <laughs> of the Scooby-Doo movies is such an interesting like, <laughs> recent phenomenon. I, I remember people hated them when they came out. I remember people thought they were really bad. But uh, Adam Wingard, Wingard has had such a <laughs> weird career trajectory where early on people really, he was like one of the new horror directors because of the guest. And I really liked your next a lot. And then he did Death Note. And then he did the Blair Witch sequel remake. But yeah, he shows up for like one scene. Two scenes. He has two scenes in Ellen. <laughs> two whole scenes. That's right. One location, two scenes. He probably did. It looks like they just turned around and went into the other room to he do He knows the actress. That's right. They work together. She was in your next. So he's directing the upcoming Godzilla vs. King Kong movie. Yeah. Which is a massive film. So you've been warned. We are now in spoiler territory. And I just got to tell you, Dan, I really feel cringy about just having a spoiler section because that feels so collider. Yeah. Watch out for the spoilers. Does Captain America <laughs> die in the end? Guess what? It doesn't matter. <laughs> it's like to me, I could I could talk comfortably without spoilers. Perfectly fine. 
Um, I think we don't need spoilers to get through stuff. But for the sake of the listener and for the sake of us as we edit things and record together, it does logistically make more sense to have a spoiler section. So from here on out, talking about She Dies Tomorrow. If you don't want to know what happens or big plot points or protect potentially tense sequences that could otherwise be deflated by knowing what happens, you'll want to listen to another podcast. So we got Stargirl, we got monthly movie news, we got trailer talk throughout the series that you can check out uh, ahead of time. But now that the barrier has been torn in two, thank you, Jesus. Daniel, (laughs) does Amy die in the end when she wakes up in the middle of a desert? Is that because she died or not? Oh, who knows? Um, but to, to, to talk about spoilers for first off, I would love if people went back and listen to Trail Talk just to see if we're completely wrong about everything we predicted about every movie. We There's were. a lot of that. We were right. I think you went into Scoob talking about like you were like the rumor says that Scoob is it's got a lot of bizarre characters throughout Hanna-Barbera. And apparently Scooby-Doo is <laughs> a transcendent god dog yeah <laughs> and, and that was right invisible man i was like i think this is going to be a movie about gaslighting and it was a movie about gaslighting yeah. and so i think you and i kind of have a good pension for it but why but why do you say that oh um sp- well spoilers is it? spoilers have certainly become more a part of our cultural discussion in recent years about movies than before it's the point of being obnoxious i think to some extent to, and then a lot of smart people at Disney, and I think probably in the future, Warner Brothers really weaponized that where there was huge things about spoilers for both uh, Infinity War and Endgame, where it's part of the marketing where it's like, you got to see this movie as soon as you can because someone's going to spoil it for you, which to be fair happened because Endgame leaked and someone sent gifts of the end of that movie to a friend of mine, <laughs> like for for no reason. It's just like, well, that's really mean. Yeah. But I do think sometimes like dealing when when going deep about a movie, you kind of have to talk about things that happen in it to the extent like uh, Shazam, which I don't. Did you review Shazam? I did. I did. I think I was able to. It's a, a review I'd like to handle better, like for us to talk about maybe sometime because yeah. I couldn't cover spoilers. Yeah, well, exactly. Like there's one of the things that makes me love that movie is hugely a spoiler about that movie. And I would like to one day talk about that to some extent. So I think it depends depends on the movie to some extent. That said, with She Dies Tomorrow, I don't know if there's really a deepful, like depthful spoiler discussion that needs to take place in order to talk about the movie more, sort of, because it's very much a movie about mood right. and atmosphere and just the, the palpable sense of dread that's sort of infecting these characters. One thing I thought is interesting is throughout the film, you see people seeing like flashing lights. And at first I thought that was just a budget friendly way to do something that was kind of like stylistic. But later I found maybe this should be on the trivia session, but like in talking with in an interview with the director, they talked about how that's supposed to mirror reports of what people say they see before they die or when they're having a near death experience, they're talking about seeing those types of lights. And so Every time in the movie where someone's about to be confronted by something super duper scary or something, you'll often have those flashing lights. Most notably, there's a scene near the end of the movie where I think I think it's Jane where she's like looking under a microscope and then she's like, is this the end? And then like she sees like these big flashing lights. And I thought she had died at that point because it cuts to a scene where <laughs> there's just blood everywhere. And then later right. she just walks into the house that Michelle Rodriguez and her friend are hanging out in and then jumps in their pool, starts swimming for some reason, and she's bleeding everywhere. But 
I guess that counts as a spoiler discussion because we're talking about things. Yeah. I, I don't know if anyone actually on screen dies other than what's her name's boyfriend husband. Where I think he commits suicide. He doesn't on screen die. He's just dead. Yeah. And it might have been suicide. And then there there's even I, I would say that these quote unquote spoilers would just be, are they going to get the infection? Are they going to get the anxiety? So like, and the trigger usually would be the color palette. There would be color grading that shifts from the bright colors to a very muted color palette. This was the most noted. I had noticed it already, but most notable during the dinner party when Jane shows up and is talking and there's the Asian woman sitting on the floor and there's a point where it's very bright and it was kind of, I think, purposeful that her particular spot in the room was bright very bright and then just before it cuts away she looks sad for a moment and the colors just fade immediately and so i would i mean i would say like there's spoilers in that i i think for me what i wanted to talk about here when it comes to like having to discuss spoilers and having to discuss like combine it with what we talked about in the beginning about like the, the big emphasis of the mood on anxiety and things like that is two, two of the characters when they are stricken with anxiety, one of them is very hateful and once is already very hateful. But when the anxiety attack hits, there's the brother of Jane, Jane's brother, and then his wife and his wife hates Jane, absolutely hates Jane. And there's this one back and forth scene where she's just really grilling Jane and Jane is just doe eyed taking like just F this and F that. And I hate everything about you. And I actually would hope that you would die, even though I know that tomorrow you're not going to die. And then the lights go out and there's this immediate moment of fear that you get. And the lights come back on because it's a birthday cake. And Jane is just like, I thought it just happened. I thought like, I thought I literally just died to which then the wife is so mad because she's like, you just made it all about yourself again. And what happens is when that woman ends up starting getting the, the, is triggered into believing that she will die tomorrow. She has this response that is like, you know what we have to do to her husband. And it's left vague, but it's when you see the scene, you go, Oh, she's saying like, we have to go kill Jane. And I don't know how to really phrase this question or kind of like where I would like to go with this per se, which probably sounds horribly unprofessional to me. But I'm interested to hear what you think about like that really extreme response to anxiety, Daniel, like that idea that like I'm filled with so much anxiety and fear of dying tomorrow that, you know what, I'm just going to go kill somebody instead. I'm going to blame that entirely on them. Like, what are your thoughts on that? It's <laughs> a really morbid question, but what do you think? Oh, it's not good. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'd agree. That's the good place to start. Certainly be very against that. I mean, I think it's definitely a reaction that people have to extreme like stress, stress and extreme. But also, I think there are some people out there who definitely especially see this actually people who have like narcissistic personalities where the moment something wrong happens, they need to find somebody to place that blame and fault with. And so I think it makes sense that some people in a moment of like anger or a moment of like this complete, like it's this person is accepted the brutality and they think they're about to die, but this somebody has to be at fault. And so they have to punish this person and make them sort of like in some ways, a scapegoat for everything that's happened to them. 
To be fair, in this position, it is kind of Jade's fault, but... Yeah, technically, if you want to... Technically. <laughs> if it I, is an they infection. They didn't knowingly do that at right. all, but... Yeah, well, that's the sort of thing. Like, across the film, you see a spectrum of different people's reactions to this sort of phenomena, where you see that person who goes and euthanizes their father, and then their relationship just really crumbles because they're just like, oh, I was only staying with you because your dad was sick and all this other stuff. Right. Where but then they spend the time together. But then you see the couple who it's like unclear what they do with their daughter. I think it's applied that they just let decide that they're going to let her die in her sleep or something. I, I wasn't entirely clear. Well, one of the, one thing that did not surprise me is in an interview with the director, they stated that they love mystery. They don't like exposition. They don't like explaining things. They like to leave the viewer with as many qu- with questions. Wow. Watching She Dies Tomorrow, I would have never suspected right? you that You never one. would have gotten that impression. <laughs> they don't like explaining things, exposition, but they love questions. And so there's lots of questions left to the viewer, which kind of makes the entire thing of, cause it, when I, I just like, when I look up, like obviously look up uh, interviews and things on YouTube, the number of like, she dies tomorrow ending explained videos that comes up is hilarious because there is no explanation for there what isn't. happens at the end of this movie. Very early in the movie, the character talks about how they want to be made into a vest. And then at the end of the movie, they're talking to somebody about like what they would need to do to make a vest out of a quote animal pelt. And I was like, man, if this movie ends with her like walking in, just handing that guy her skin, 10 out of 10. That's such a <laughs> zero yeah. to a hundred ending. Yeah. It's completely subdued, like very minimal. Everything is happening. This movie it just has that would make this movie legendary where it's like one of those like, oh, it's kind of boring, dude, but that end, you got to see it kind of thing. That was sort of like when when we were watching it, my wife thought in the beginning of the film, Amy's just looking at leather jackets and you're like, oh, she's just going to do a spending spree. She's just going to ham it up. <laughs> what a movie that would be. Do whatever she could. <laughs> and then she says to Jane what during that sequence where, where Jane's on the couch and Amy's on the floor, she says, when I die, I want you to take me to a, a like a, was it a leather maker? I don't know what the term is for the particular profession that yeah. it is. And I want you to have my skin made into a leather jacket. And then, yeah, the last scene is she's talking to a guy about how it's described. And I really like that the script had him say, we can make your leather into anything you like or something like that. We can make the skin into anything you like or make your skin into anything you like. I mean, it's very on the nose, but it's like he doesn't have any idea and she knows like it's just clever. Um, and then, yeah, after that, it's she just wakes up in the desert <laughs> and, and you had already previously seen her in the desert. So there's like questions of like, is this back to the past or did she die? And this is what the afterlife looks like in this world or what? Or did she not die? And suddenly she's confronted with the fact that a lot of her fears are completely unfounded. Yeah, because the ending is like she is repeating to herself. I'm not OK. I'm not OK. I am OK. I'm not OK. I'm not OK. Kind of over and over. And for Catherine and I, we felt like that was her basically saying, like, it's OK to not be OK is kind of what it breaks down to like some some people just are not doing well and there needs to be a real like they'll be aware that they're not well they'll be aware that they have anxiety and they'll be aware that things are not going well in their life but there's a difference between like knowing that and like really really knowing that and i think as christians we can kind of understand that sort of backwards back and forth kind of idea because there's a lot of theology we all say we agree with and then we go and commit sin, which completely disagrees with what we would func- uh, theoretically say that we believe. And so th- it's kind of a cathartic ending, like like even like what you're posing as a potential ending. Like, is it that she just sort of 
wakes up the, the next day after having visited the leather guy, the leather daddy yeah. <laughs> after visiting uh, Tobias Funke. And, um, <laughs> and she's just like, you know, it's okay that I'm not doing okay right now. Yeah. It's interesting. Did, did you, did you have this experience that my wife did where there were scenes where she thought that a character was already dead, but, but wasn't dead. So you already mentioned the Jane one, but that's pretty obvious because they show her basement is like covered with blood. Yeah. Cause I kind of thought they were going to do a thing where like you'd see characters quote unquote die, but both possibly as an artistic decision, but also as a budget reason, they might just show the aftermath and never actually show you someone like dying on screen. Yeah. I thought of that too. But, um, yeah, I thought that I at first thought that that couple, um, that he would go full Victor's ass and he was just going to kill their kid as like a mercy killing. Cause it's in fairly close proximity to the scene where it looks like that guy is like euthanizing his father where they're like taking the things out of his veins and all that stuff. Right. So I thought that that was going to be a thing where, we were going to see all these people like start mercy killing people, which would be a very, which in of itself. And I said, a lot would be an interesting premise for a horror film where it's just people go around mercy killing people thinking that they're helping and then they're not or something. That'd be kind of interesting. But yeah, the, I had that, I had that experience a few times. I'm trying to think of other ones where like you just see a character have what seems almost like a poetic end. And then there's just another scene with them again later doing something else. Yeah. But I think overall that really does kind of tie because everyone has had extreme anxiety. It feels like the world's ending where you think like, Oh no, like my life is over. I'm going to die, et cetera, et cetera. And then you just are on the other side of that. And then suddenly it's okay. Like the thing that you were very terrified of happening happened and the world just keeps going on and life keeps going on, which is part of why I think it's so important that people like as somebody who has both, has been diagnosed with anxiety i was diagnosed with anxiety several different times in my life with different wording for it but it all kind of boils down the same thing and also has worked with a lot of patients with anxiety one of the things that i always encourage patients is first off you try and rationalize because one of the things that you do in um dbt is you sort of like have to sort of like map out your own thinking where it's just like okay you think you're going to die tomorrow why do you think that can you prove that and in more normal circumstances, a lot of people, because they have to start breaking down a thought process, will start being like, I guess I can't prove this. And I guess I can't sit there and explain to you why I'm basing the rest of my life around one idea that I can't prove. But the next part of, I, I think, being well with these types of things is just having to face the things that you're really, really afraid of. I'm afraid to tell my parents I want to drop out of college. Okay, what do you think is going to happen? Like, what will happen when you say this? What do you and often I'd be like, well, you think your parents are going to punch you in the face? You know, it's sort of, sort of ridiculous thing. They laugh, tensions lighten a little bit, and then you start talking about it. But then when you do that thing that you're afraid of and you have to face it, and then suddenly you didn't explode, like your parents didn't punch you in the face, you know, nothing horrible happened, that strengthens you for the next thing. And I'm not one of these per persons who's like, these darn kids today, blah, blah, blah. But I do think part of why we're seeing a general increase in people with, with self-diagnosed social anxiety is, I mean, A, we are just becoming more aware of mental illness, so we're able to identify things better. But I think there is a growing number of people who, because they spend less time in traditional socializing and because they're spending less time doing things and we're creating more, it's sort of this trade-off where 
at my youth group, we have we are one of the last youth groups in the entire country that had initiations. Yes, as in what you what college fraternities are banned from doing. We had our own version of that because it's just sort of a church tradition and it, it had existed for decades and we just kept doing it. But and they weren't like extreme things or anything like that. Like we weren't shaving kids heads or making them get tattoos <laughs> or something. But like when you would go on the youth retreat and when you first would join, you would have to we would just make you do silly things like and over time we would have to lessen them because of changing attitudes and things. So like we would like pour water down someone's pants or we would make them we would make them think they're on top of something very tall. But actually it was like a, a foot jump or something. Those types of silly things. What is it? The two by four that you stand on and you have a blindfold and you put your yes. hands on their shoulders yeah. and then they lift it up like a foot, but then they get shorter and it feels like you keep going up and up and up yeah, and up and up. Exactly. And that sounds less traumatic than having water poured down. My so <laughs> I'll be real well, honest. Right now. <laughs> one, one time we put a kid on a table and we just lift the table in the air and then they slipped and they just fell in the back of their head at the table (laughs) and that was the last time we did it they were fine but Uh, (laughs) so we stopped doing things like that for uh insurance and liability reasons that sounds like youth group though (laughs) that sounds like youth group run by me (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) but you know we would do all kinds of things where we did um uh egg roulette where you had to pick eggs out of a carton and smash every head and some of them were raw and some of them weren't and we had rock paper scissors pie which some will recognize as a jimmy fallon game but slowly over time, we were asked, we kept getting asked to remove them both for liability reasons, but also lots of kids were complaining and saying like, oh, I'm, I don't want to go up there in front of everybody because it's scary because I don't want to be in front of a crowd. I don't want people to laugh at me. And there was certainly some credence to it, especially the thing of like there were kids with legitimately diagnosable, like we had somebody who had an actual phobia specifically of eggs, believe it or not, like they specifically are afraid of raw eggs. And so there's a thing of like, we're some of the leaders who are gung ho, like all oh, these darn kids are so scared of everything and <laughs> trying to get like this kid with a diagnosed phobia of like raw eggs, part of like an OCD thing. And I was like, well, maybe we shouldn't make them do the egg thing. You know, so there's this right. tension of like, right. if we never make people face things they're afraid of, they're never going to get this thicker skin. They're never going to learn the very important life fact of, hey, guess what? Sometimes you can be afraid of something. And that's part of the reason you have to do it so that you're not afraid of it anymore. And you need to, and this is part of growing up. This is part of maturity. But there's also this thing of like, maybe it's not our place to make that decision for some kids, you know? Right. And so there's just, there's that forever tension and that I was part of those conversations. And so we ended up just, I'm not, I'm not getting into the details of how he's resolved that issue, but we basically create a second new thing that are not initiations, but kind of, kind of accomplish the same thing. It was a middle ground everyone's happy with the end of that. But I think this film really illustrates this thing of like, there are some things that we're so afraid of. And it's this, it, this isn't just like, I'm afraid I'm going to lose my job. I'm afraid my friends, gonna, my boyfriend's going to break up with me. I am dying tomorrow. And I like to think that a read of this film's ending is this person lived to see tomorrow and they're just laying there. And the thing they weren't afraid of didn't happen. And that's also scary because she's just laying in this field. She was ready to be made into a jacket. And now the world hasn't ended. She's still alive. And, what do I do now? You know, right. Cause that, cause that, and that was afraid, scary for me where I was like, okay, like I was, I'm in a hospital. I didn't kill myself and I get discharged. Okay. Now I got to go back to school. Now I have to get a job. Now the rest of my life has to happen. Right. Cause I think for some, I, some people can definitely relate to this where suicide slash like wanting to die was also kind of a crutch where like, that was like the eject panic button. 
where if I can just do this, I don't have to worry about everything else any ever again. The rest of life doesn't matter. But now you got to face that. And that's also scary. But that is certainly a single read of the film's ending. I don't know if you have other readings of it. The thing about for anxiety when it comes to my experience is that it, it just becomes a debilitating thing. So I, I definitely experience anxiety more like Amy does in this movie than any of the characters. I don't find myself wanting to kill somebody and make them pay. <laughs> I don't find myself good. really reaching out to people. I do know people that have told me that like when they f- are filled with anxiety about a situation and they know that it's because of somebody else, it, it is not very far for them to be tempted by Satan to just like, I just need to remove them. And removing them means praying to the Lord that they change, stepping away from them or killing them. So it's like, it, I think what's hard about, I think what's challenging about this movie, you know, I talked to, I, t- I did, I'm doing a Bible study with a couple of friends of mine. We're going through Colossians and we're actually just about finished. And we got to the part, uh, I may have just mentioned this. I feel like I did, but I, I think it's relevant here too, where at the end of Colossians 4, 2 through 6, he, Paul writes like, you know, speaking to strangers in wisdom and like making good use of your time. And one of the, one of the things as we've been doing the studies, we sort of pass around leadership. So like we can all grow in how to teach and how to uh, discern scripture and, and ask good questions. And the one question was very, very particular and practical and relevant. And it was during 2020, how do we as Christians do that? in wisdom approach strangers with the gospel and uh could make good use of our time which i think the good use of our time is pretty tough if you're stuck at home and you can't work or you're furloughed or (laughs) you're counting down the days until that rent check that you can't pay shows up there's a lot of anxiety right now but when that question was asked i actually posed it back to the leader and the other guys i said like i actually think that this anxiety has been around already It's just in certain Christian circles, I'll say at least in mine, we're just more hyper aware of it now. Everybody's hyper aware of it, but in particular, the Christians that I know are like middle class and very comfortable and always have been pretty comfortable. And that's sort of probably why listeners of the podcast who might be from different regions will know that like Dan and I, when, when, when politics do show up in the, in the podcast, I think mostly showed up in that one episode of monthly movie news where we talk about masks. You know, our response to things typically is a bit more, I I guess you could say center or left. I think it's because we find that when it comes to mindfulness and caring about other people and, and, and believing that anxiety is real and has been real for a very long time, uh, whether racially or in gender experiences, stuff like that, it's usually left of center that kind of believes that. And so when I was talking to these guys during this question, I said, like, you know, if I I talk to some of my black friends and they're like, it's a breath of fresh air that people are taking a lot of these racial tension issues seriously now. But like when I've talked to my parents about this, this is black friends talking to their black parents. It's like, and they're also relieved about it too. They're, they're kind of wishing this, this stuff was taken seriously decades ago. I had a good friend of mine who I've spoken to who doesn't really he he says like a lot of racial stuff is already taken care of because Jim Crow is gone and because they people can vote, black people can vote. And he kind of just stops there. And I love the guy. And this isn't to knock him down as like, you know, he's a good Christian guy that I really do believe is fighting the good fight and will ultimately persevere to the to the golden gates of heaven. 
but it's one of those cases where like, you know, I don't, I don't agree with that. I think the anxieties are still continuing. Like the fear is still there and it 2020 isn't a unique thing. I think just in my particular area, the class of Christians I commune with 2020 is blindsiding them. Maybe because now that they don't have work, they're stressed because their actual hopes was more in the security of work than it was in of God to support them because they wouldn't really struggle with anxiety. And I know this is going to sound like I'm, I'm painting Christians who have struggled with anxiety as not Christian. That's not what I'm saying, but their fight against anxiety would be much stronger if they really did believe that the Lord was going to sustain them. I'm saying that as somebody who is struggling with that all the time, I'm not traditionally working. I do not have a particularly large paycheck. Patron supporters help me <laughs> pay pay bills. <laughs> and... What a cry for Patreon support that you're doing. <laughs> yeah, please, please help us. We I need to put bread on the table. <laughs> no, um, the Lord puts bread on my table, and honestly, I really, I yeah. we would love more Patreon support. We could get new microphones if we have Patreon support. We could do a lot more. If we had Patreon support grow, so it's not as though I'm saying that doesn't matter. But what I'm really getting at is like. A lot of these anxieties that are new in 2020 are real, and they're indicative of perhaps a lack of faith. I think it's also a growing of faith. The Lord often brings trials to emphasize like how you can grow in faith. But I think it's also important to know that these anxieties that people are feeling are pretty long-lasting and real. <laughs> We're going to go on another podcast where we mentioned Ben Shapiro, <laughs> and and uh, we all know the whole facts don't care about your feelings kind of thing. But like the reality is, is like feelings really don't care about your facts either. And I know that that's something he often goes against. Like, well, facts are facts. But <laughs> we don't live in a world where facts reign. We live in a world where sin has a lot of power. Even Satan himself is like the ruler of the world right now, which means facts which are logical and have reason don't really matter because chaos is really in control. I know the step above that is God is in control. I know. But just like when you're watching this film or Daniel, you're sharing about like, yeah, I'm just going to kill myself tomorrow. And I'm sure there were reasons you had for that being there, but then ultimately it chose against it and thank God for it. It's still like, these are really real raw things. And so I guess kind of where I'm trying to go here is like, my read of this film is to to watch it and empathize with these characters and find yourself empathizing with characters that are making bad choices. Because if you can empathize with the woman who is like, we need to kill Jane because this is her fault. And the reason you're empathizing with her is because she, I mean, she's the one who monologues about the dolphins. And then when she realizes I could die tomorrow or I'm going to die tomorrow, she then goes, I wasted all of that time. <laughs> of my life talking about things that don't matter. And of course you and the audience are going, yep, because <laughs> why did I have to listen to that? And like, you should empathize with that because the whole world is groaning there. It's we're all in the, the pains of childbirth. We are waiting. And that includes people who don't know the Lord. And that includes people who are suffering anxiety, perhaps more so than people who aren't. I don't know. I didn't really have a, a, a a specific read of the film. So you put me on the spot and that's okay. I think people are used to the fact that like, I really verbalize how I think. And so hopefully you tracked with me, but in, in, in summarization, what would you say is the main thing you're trying to say? I mentioned in another episode exercises in sympathy that certain films exercise your sympathy for characters. I think the Kings of this are uh safety brothers. <laughs> I think mm, if you could watch yeah. their films and sympathize with, Howard Ratner, or you can sympathize with Connie, 
from good time, even though these people are really terrible, but you can hurt with the ways that they hurt, then I think you're going to have a good process of empathizing with your good friends and neighbors. You want to know why I can listen to a good Christian friend talk about how he wanted to kill somebody? It's because I know what it's like to be a sinner living in a sinful world and being tempted by Satan every single day. And and praise God, this person, as he's talking to God, saying, like, I need to kill this person, and he's saying that because of the injustice that this person has committed to them, he describes having this voice come to his head, and it was Jesus basically saying, the way that I should treat you for your sin, and that blew him away, because <laughs> he's like, oh, no, please, Lord, don't, don't treat me the way that my sin dictates I should be treated. And so if you can watch this film, and I would say that this is a condensed version, you need to watch it with a with a pursuit of empathy. And I think you'll find it very effective. So I think that's true. I think I'm, I'm going to, yeah, I'm to, for the most part, I'm going to agree with your summarization there, where I think there is, like, like we said very early on in the episode, this film was born out of the writer director's own anxieties about death, as well as experiences with having anxiety attacks. And so if you were to sit there and ask me like, why do you watch, like, why do you like movies so much? Why, what is the value of watching movies right at the top of the list is just the ability to spend time with people that you might not otherwise get to spend time with and to see their life and to sort of, you know, walk, walk, maybe not a whole mile, but a couple steps in their shoes and really just, just sort of like wait in the waters and experience something for a little bit. I think that's the main value. One of the main values of films in general. And so to, just to viscerally experience something like this in such an intense and maybe very literal way in that these people are getting affected with the virus that makes them like believe they're going to die the next day. You know, I think that's certainly something where you get to have this exercise and sort of like empathy that you're talking about. And so I certainly think that is something that is a good star and recommendation. And it's like what the thing that you see a lot in the, in the, in the trailers for the movie and the the little pull quotes are talking about like what a timely, you know, visceral like horror film or what a anxiety ridden, but beautiful emotional ride. And those are things are all true, but I think also just to get to see these human beings suffer in such a way and to then just follow them along as they suffer. And some of them come out pretty well. Some of them don't come out well at all. You know, I think that's cool. We certainly try and strive to have sort of like, okay, what is a Christian response to this film? And with a ghost story, we were able to sit there and be like, well, you know, we have this assurance of the afterlife and we get to see our value of the time we spend in light of eternity and all that. But this is just human beings struggling and human beings suffering. And so what can we do? And I, I think one Christian response obviously is to look at this and to hopefully you're stirred to be going to be like, you know, I want to help people like this in the future. And yeah. if someone I know is struggling in such a way where they're panicked about the future, um, though they proclaim Jesus as Lord, certainly we should be able to come beside them and encourage them perhaps better than the characters in this film. We're able to encourage one another or one person yeah. talks about, I hate you. I hope you do die. And the person's like, you're being crazy. Just leaves them. And certainly there's a, there's a level where, there's toxic relationships. There's you can only take people so far, and there is a there is a time to to remove yourself from somebody for various reasons. Yes, certainly. And another another thing is that if if you see yourself in these characters, you're sitting there and going, "I've done that. I've experienced that." Like obviously, there's the hope that we have in the Lord, and know that the future is in God's hands. And um, no matter what happens, no matter what happens with the pandemic or the election, et cetera, et cetera, 
God's on the throne. Jesus is coming back, living the light of his return, certainly. But I mean, obviously, there's help out there. Not to end in a cheesy after school special kind of way, but Mm-mm. I've worked at yeah. facilities where you help people. There's people out there that you can reach out to. I think one of the ways his character goes horribly wrong is their early decision to self-isolate. Every time I look at interviews for like really artsy movies, everyone's like, this is a serious. Every time the director will make a comment about like, it's funny. You know, feel free to laugh. And I think one of the things that's funny is the early conversation where she's on the phone and her friend is like, I can't hear you. Are you talking to the phone? Like, <laughs> yeah. Are you yeah. covering up the microphone where she's like not enunciating? And hey, like even if you're laying on the floor surrounded by impulse Amazon purchases talking about like, oh, would I die? I want it's okay to have people sit in the living room there just watching you wallow in misery. That's fine. I've done that. I've been the wallower. I've been the watcher. Yeah, as, as have I. Yeah, I'm sure everyone has. And that's part of that's part of being part of the body of Christ and part of Christian fellowship is to have people that can insert Christianese phrase here, journey with you, be there in that season, love on do, you, whatever. Do life with you. That's do life with you. I, it's, I hate it. <laughs> what, yeah, whatever grocery Love on use. you makes me feel really uncomfortable. So Yeah, I don't want you to love on me, man. But like the whole thing is like part of being a friend of somebody, part of being their brother and sister in Christ, part of just being an empathetic, kind person who knows the love of the Lord and loves other people is to look at somebody at their very worst Know that God has seen you worse than that, and He loved you anyway. <laughs> yes, yeah. And so you can sit there and be like, okay, like maybe like have a little pity party, ten to fifteen minutes, whatever. Then take that next step, of like okay, let's let's go, let's go get a coffee, man. <laughs> Just pick you up off yeah. the floor, push you out into the world. Maybe the sunlight might hurt your eyes a little bit, but don't put on a classical record or room to the woods next to your house and yeah. whatever this person is doing. Also, don't feel ashamed. I'm sure. Everything, every cringy thing you've done in a fit of like mental illness or anxiety or fear or extreme passion, I'm someone there's been right there with you. It's sure it's embarrassing, yeah, but it's so eventually, true. eventually we're all going to be embarrassed, do something embarrassing in front of each other, and we'll brush it off and laugh. And you know, that's just that's just how it is, man. Yeah. You know, I kind of like that we did this with our ghost story episode, so I'll do it again here. Do you recommend? Uh, she dies tomorrow. Do you think people should check it out? Do you think it's worth watching, worth the rental? I, I mean, so upfront, yeah, I enjoyed the movie. And I think similar to a ghost story, it's definitely qualified in the sense that just know the type of movie it is. And that's not a knock in the movie. It's just this is even, I would say, almost more experimental than a ghost story is because a ghost yeah, story it has is. something more resembling a traditional structure. I mean, if you timed the movie like um, She Dies Tomorrow, like in terms of time, like, you know, 15 minutes in, there's an incident, like that sort of thing, which I'm directly lifting from an interview with the director where she was talking about her own structure, where she said, like, yeah, like 15 minutes in, you get sort of an inciting incident that pushes the movie forward. So in that regard, it is like a conventional movie. But for the most part, this is very <laughs> moody. It's very much a movie that is a series of very emotional moments sort of strung together, which I found interesting as, as a watching experience where it's a story constructed almost entirely of emotional beats. Where just by juxtaposing these emotional scenes next to each other, you get a cohesive narrative. And if everything I just said just sounds blah to you, <laughs> this certainly might not be the movie for you. But as an as a look into a very specific experience that's just sort of dramatic, uh, dramatized for a sort of horror like experience, I think it's very rewarding. So I would recommend it to let's say discerning viewers or people who have a palate for more 
slow, weird kind of movies that also get kind of uncomfortable just because they're so weird. But yeah, I would overall recommend it to that kind of viewer. It's not a movie that if your family is just flipping through trying to find something for family movie night, yeah, this will this will bore some and just sort of like make other people feel icky. But yeah, if you're a movie person and if you're in that kind of movie, I would definitely recommend it. I would agree. I think it's definitely a if you if you if you like these kinds of movies based on what you've listened to through this episode, you're gonna have a good time. Uh, as good as you can when you're just feeling kind of uncomfortable the whole time. So, yeah, what are you going to watch? I mean, you could pick up Trolls World Tour again. <laughs> again, for a fifth time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah maybe sixth or seventh. But yeah. if you want something a little more meaty, if you want something to kind of ponder and to think about and you don't find and you don't mind being challenged with mortality more so than you already have been lately, then, um, yeah, definitely pick it up. Thanks so much for checking out this episode on She Dies Tomorrow. Now, if you've seen She Dies Tomorrow, what did you think of it? Were you vibing with the mood of this film, or did you find this film aimless and boring? If you're listening on Cinematic Doctrine's website, let us know in the comments below or shoot us an email to cinematicdoctrine at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this episode, consider leaving a review for the podcast on your respective podcast app at the end of this episode. Unlike YouTube or Reddit, there isn't really a way to let us know how we're doing with a thumbs up or thumbs down. So the best way is to leave your thoughts on the podcast by writing a review on iTunes, Podchaser, or wherever you listen. And as mentioned before, Cinematic Doctrine has a Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you're opting into a once-a-month movie poll where you decide a movie we discuss in the podcast. You also gain access to The Pre-Show, a Patreon-exclusive podcast series where we casually talk movies, Christianity, and life itself. There are other unique benefits that come with supporting the podcast, so be sure to check that out at patreon.com forward slash cinematicdoctrine. A special shout out to those who support the Art House Theater tier on Patreon. Thank you so much, Mom, Dad, and Melanie. You guys are the best, and your continued monetary support is greatly appreciated. All this will be available in the show notes. Until next time, stay cool. Want some Cinematic Doctrine swag? You're in luck. We've got 3-inch Cinematic Doctrine logo stickers exclusive for Patreon supporters. Perfect for your travel mug or laptop. Head over to patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine, link in the show notes, and choose the independent theater tier. Doing so will net you other perks too. But let's be real. The podcast stickers are the coolest perk. So get yourself some podcast stickers by supporting on Patreon.